Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Echo Chamber. Here with us today is Adam Altmans. I'm the truth. And as always, I'm your host, Russell McBride. Pierce Conway could not join us this week because apparently he is becoming more important. That's that's not true. Let's not go there. <laughs> so we want to get started this week just to update on the Jacob Blake situation. And I believe Altman's has just kind of some more information to inform you guys based on the information we had the previous week. Yeah, so we record these podcasts pretty early in the week. Uh, I think we recorded that one on Thursday. And uh, we kept saying in the episode, there, from what we can see, from what we have, the information that's available. But there is more information available. Uh, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I encourage you, if you don't know what that new information is, and you're interested in that discussion, it's definitely worth it to go get a more full picture, um, not to change your mind or position, but to just get a more informed idea of what was happening. So I encourage you guys to do that. Yeah, and, it, and I, I think just to put a little bit of out there, it seems like the police officers did try to use other methods to subdue Jacob Blake. I think the dialogue or the discussion that's going to take place in the coming weeks and months is, even after that, was it still necessary to shoot him as he was getting in his car? And that's the discussion people are going to have based off the new information and footage. Right, and I would, I would probably encourage you to avoid the background of Jacob Blake uh, as a justification. That's what some people are saying. His previous record was an excuse or a reason. Um, I think that you could figure out where that that maybe plays a role, but it certainly doesn't have an impact or bearing on the deserving of anything. So we're going to move on to our main topic this week, and we're really going to focus on a, a discussion around an article that was published a few days ago. So an author, John McCorder, he writes for The Atlantic, and he's a professor at Columbia University. He wrote the article, Academics are really, really worried about their freedom. Some fear for their career because they don't believe progressive orthodoxies. Now, there was an article that he wrote earlier this summer, too, with with the same general idea. So this is a follow-up since then. So I'm just going to quote a couple lines from this. So you can follow along with us, but I do encourage you to go read the article. I have linked it down below. So let me start with his opening line. Our national reckoning on race has brought to the fore a loose but committed assemblage of people given to the idea that social justice must be pursued via attempts to banish from the public sphere as much as possible all opinions that they interpret as insufficiently opposed to power differentials. So essentially, he's talking about cancel culture. And he gets into this idea of cancel culture light, so to speak, and how this plays out in the academic sphere. So he brings up this study conducted by the Heterodox Academy, and it did an internal member survey of 445 academics. And it asked this question, imagine expressing your views about a controversial issue while at work at a time when faculty, staff, and or other colleagues were present. To what extent would you worry about the following consequences? And this is a hypothetical. My reputation would be tarnished. 32% of them were very concerned that their reputation would be tarnished. 27% were extremely concerned that their reputation would be tarnished. And then to the hypothetical, my career would be hurt. 24% were very concerned that their career would be hurt. And 28% were extremely concerned that their career would be hurt. 
essentially, more than half of these respondents are basically saying they're afraid that if they express their views in an academic setting, it's dangerous to their careers. Yeah, and this comes. This article comes after something that was published over the summer uh, in the. I think that people refer to it as the Harper's Letter, where all these academics and journalists signed this letter, basically arguing for free speech uh, and that they are concerned about this cancel culture. And um, I've talked to you, McBride, about this a lot. Um, it's a passion of mine and yours, I think. But you know, when I when I put that out there, I was just shocked how many people mocked it, um, that uh, a lot of people responded to the Harper's letter and this idea that McCorder is talk talking about. Uh, it's like, oh, you just don't want people to disagree with you. Oh, you're a big baby. And, and what this article is saying is it's not about that. Like, disagreement isn't the problem. Uh, in fact, it, it's, you know, that's a valuable thing. The, the problem is that disagreement can, can hurt your career, your livelihood, and in some cases have uh, basically, I don't want to say stolen from people. It's, it's ruined careers. It's ruined lives in some cases. And so it's a serious problem. Yeah, so I, and I think this is the dialogue we want to have is, is twofold. What is the validity of this concern? And then, if anything, what should be done about this? Yeah, so I think this is a very serious cultural problem for me. Like, to me, it's not about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And it shouldn't be for you either, right? Uh, to me, it's, I, I, I want to live in a culture and in a society that freely expresses ideas, right? Because... That's where you see the most growth. That's where you start um, being a, you're more able to empathize with others. You're you're able to 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 gain perspective. But if we're going to head towards a society and culture that says, well, there's only one right answer, and if you're not in that right zone, then you're then you're you know you deserve punishment. Um, that's a, that's that's not a culture we want. That's there are cultures like that, and there's, they are none that we admire, right? Right. So, you, you know, you, you look at Stalinist Russia. You know, we look at North Korea, and I know those are extremes right now, and you're rolling your eyes, but that's what happens when these things go unchecked. But there's this idea, right, that in democracy is like what makes us democratic is that we have different views, we have different ideologies, we have different beliefs, we have different views of how our government should work, and yet all of these views, ideologies, or etc., for the most part, are accepted in society, uh, and and we dialogue with each other, we learn from each other, we figure out what works, what doesn't work, and obviously there's like extremist views that I think society rightly ostracizes, and neo Nazis, particular in our society, I think are rightly ostracized for their beliefs that that we know are wrong, that morally we believe are wrong. But when it comes to these nuanced views, people who are slightly left or people who are slightly right, suddenly their views are being considered unacceptable from those who are potentially much more left or much more right. Yeah, I mean, you get, you're right. There, there are things like a neo-Nazi who's out on the street preaching their filth. Um, first of all, they're allowed to do that. 
as long as they get a city permit. They're allowed to do that, and they should be allowed to do that. And I think even me saying that right now, somebody is concerned. I can't believe you would say that a neo-Nazi should be allowed to say that stuff. But the point is, right, we let society determine what is something to reject outright, okay? And not let a, a social movement determine exactly what you need to say, right? So for the neo-Nazi, society, for the most part, has rejected that. No one takes it seriously. Yes, they're allowed to say it, but no, we, we reject it. And plus, a lot of that is also predicated on harming others, like physical harm, right? Right. And so, of course, that violates, you know, our natural rights, right? Yeah. Not the speech doesn't, but when you're calling for people to harm others, that's when it's truly problematic and yeah, you should probably, you know, lose your job for that. Right. Uh, because that's that's a, that's an extreme, right? But society has all all parts of society on the right and the left reject that ideology. But I think what what McWhorter is getting into in the article and what these other uh, professors who are weighing in are saying, and this is what you said, is that now you have one small section of society who's determining what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. I don't know, do you want to go into some examples from the article? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. I, you know, first of all, McWhorter today just tweeted out an example that I think is helpful to share. Do you want to share that? Yeah, so today on my, my Twitter feed, this popped up, um, and basically it's a video of, it's a USC professor, uh, so University of Southern Cal, um, and he was giving a lecture, uh, and, he, and this is as a lecture on foreign languages, um, and so we assume this professor has a background in linguistics and all that kind of stuff, but anyway, if you watch the video, because uh, he's Skyping or Zooming. Wow, I can't believe I said Skyping. He's Zooming with his students, and he's talking about the pronunciation of a Chinese word, and that pronunciation of the Chinese word sounds like a racial slur in English. And what happened is students reported him uh, for insensitivity, and now he's on leave. And, and I think rightly so, McCorder and, and other people are saying, this is absurd, this is satire, right? This belongs in the onion. Because here is a man who is instructing on the pronunciation of a Chinese word, and because it sounds like a different word in English, now he's on leave. And his career is now in jeopardy. That goes on his record. That's a strike against him. That's absurd. Yeah, and I think it's... A lot of times, it seems like we're removing context. Like we're removing context from these situations, especially in academia, where we're saying this word sounds like a word that is wrong but in context we understand he's actually pronouncing from the alphabet of a different language but because these students have reported him suddenly his actions could potentially ruin his career yeah simply by teaching his class yeah and it, and it shows no mercy right uh this is also from the atlantic article and i think it relates to this it says um an assistant professor of color um, said, at the moment, I'm more anxious about this problem than anything else in my career. The, noting that the truth is over that over the last few years, this new norm of intolerance and cult of social justice has marginalized me more than all racism I have ever faced in my life. And I found that to be really just powerful and interesting. And obviously, I'd love to dig into that more with this professor, but we don't know who he is. It's anonymous. 
But I think this kind of speaks to that is, you know, this professor is, his whole career is being boiled down to him pronouncing a Chinese word, which is in a totally different culture language. But because some people are so focused on their situation right now in their geographic setting at this time period, well, that word I heard is not a Chinese word. That's a different word. And it really, it just, it totally, I think, makes a joke and mockery out of the actual problem with that word that you thought it would sounded like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that's almost what this, this uh, professor was saying is that you've reduced me to this, this movement and you've made a mockery of it. Uh, you're not really digging into the, to, to real stuff. You're just kind of pointing out these small idiotic things and you're hurting everyone else in the process. And you know, I feel like this is a symptom of where we are in society today with technology and social media, etc. Because the idea behind all of this is that if you can whip up enough frustration and attention and media that we could ruin somebody for doing something we disagree with or we believe is wrong. And in the world where a video or a statement can quickly be clipped, it can be spread, it can be sent out among the world to say, look at what this person has done. These people can be ruined by these stories that might be disingenuous. They're, they're not presenting the full story. And yet what frustrates me about American society is when you dig deep enough and you find the real story, that that never comes out. And many of the times these organizations, these schools, they're not coming to the defense of their people. They're not coming to the defense of their people who are being drawn and quartered sometimes for things that are taken out of context. And maybe that's too strong a language to to take on this, but it, it sometimes seems like it, especially when you look at this example. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, the drawn and quartering, no one's getting drawn and quartered. We're acknowledging that, right? Right. But it's the spirit of it, right? Um, and I don't... Uh, I'm going to nerd out history. So I'm a history teacher, so I'm going to nerd out history with you guys. It, it really it, it brings me back to the French Revolution, right? And I love this, this analogy, and I'm not the only one to use it, I don't think. But in the French Revolution, here you have a society built on liberty, equality, fraternity, right? All these new freedoms. Go read the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen. It's very comparable to our uh, Constitutional Bill of Rights. But in that movement, you had a group of people, radicals, right? These sans culottes. And they had determined, they're from the city of Paris, they had determined here is what it means to be a true citizen of France, a true revolutionary. And what they did is they created this kind of cult, all right, that if you didn't agree with it, then off with your heads, right? They are the ones who produced the political party that enabled the reign of terror, right? And as we know from our history classes in the Reign of Terror, that no one was safe, right? Because no one can, can, can walk that rigid straight line that was demanded by the sans-culottes. They couldn't even walk it, right? So Robespierre is beheaded, right? He's the one who established essentially the Reign of Terror, the Republic of Virtue. He couldn't live up to it. No one can, right? And so it's this monster that grows out of control. And you take this movement, the French Revolution, which was beautiful in its inception, and you turn it into a bloody lesson in where you have basically this, this tyrannical group who is guarding what is acceptable and not. Um, and, and totally, I'll 
set back a whole nation for centuries, but now I'm going down a different path. But you get it here. I mean, that's what it is, right? It, it is a, 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 um, a Girondin moment, if you will. And I think it's important to say we're, we're not condemning a social justice movement. We're not condemning no. the, 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 the ideology on the left or the right. But we're saying when people are saying things that can be interpreted against our ideology, or goodness, even if they don't agree with our ideology, why are we not as a society willing to just enter that dialogue as opposed to going around them and trying to end them? Why aren't we saying, well, why do you believe that way? And you know, it might be wrong. They might believe something that's wrong. Yeah. But why don't we enter that dialogue? How, how can we create change in society if on the left and the right we're not willing to enter dialogues and discuss where we're disagreeing and what we've done wrong and to begin to understand and develop empathy for each other? Yeah, I think that's, it's a great time to, to, to pause because you're right. We're, let's make it clear. Uh, criticism is awesome. Right. Right? The, uh, in no way are we saying stop criticizing people. You should be very critical of them. But you should do it in a spirit of, first of all, grace, right? right? Because you might be wrong. You need to approach it with that grace. You have been wrong at some point, And so approach it with grace, right? Um, and do it also in an approach to try and understand the other side, right? And if you're out there thinking, well, they don't deserve my understanding, get over yourself. <laughs> I mean, come on. So... Being critical, like, I wish people would be more critical with me. Like, when I'm teaching my class, some of the best moments in conversations are when someone challenges me and says, wait a second. Absolutely. I don't think that. Okay, let's talk about it. That's education, right? Right. And I guess, and then this is my rallying cry over the summer, is I'm not into indoctrination. I'm into education. And that means disagreement and having those conversations. You know, this summer, I was... A benefactor of a friend of mine so shout out to Daniel I don't know if he listens um, but uh, this is a guy who just basically really started challenging my beliefs on a variety of things not just what was in the news per se and it was the most fruitful summer I can remember because on some things I changed my mind and on other things I didn't but I had a better understanding of why I disagree on these things, and I have a better understanding of what the argument is from the other side, even though I disagree. Right, and I, you know, I, I tell my students all the time, like, I don't care if you enter my class, like, extreme left, extreme right, neutral, slightly left, slightly right, and, and my goal is not to have my students march out of the room all believing the same thing, mm -hmm. but my goal is that my students leave my classes knowing how to think critically, not just about what they believe, but about what others believe. To know how to check their ideas, to know how to check what they believe, to make sure what they're saying is true. And that can even help you when you're being challenged. If someone challenges your views, not only do you need the ability to hear that person out and understand what they're saying, but you need the ability to also defend your views and to express why you believe what you believe. And if we never take up that challenge, to question what we believe, then how can we even defend it? Yeah, and, and yeah, there's no value in having a position if you can't really defend it. You may think you're right, and you might have all the information that you think you need,
But if you don't have the retort, and if you don't have not just the retort, but where that retort comes from, you're really not educated on that issue. You're just single-minded. Yeah. So I think the encouragement is to say to all of our listeners, when you believe things, like have a reason and a purpose behind it. Know why you believe it. If, and let's, let's put it in November 2020 terms. If you're voting for Joe Biden, then you should know why, and you should be able to defend that, and you should understand what policies you want to see Joe Biden enact, and you should understand the reasons why you don't want Donald Trump president and what you don't want to see. If you're voting for Donald Trump, you should understand the policies he's going to enact that you agree with, and you should understand the policies that Biden is pushing that you disagree with, right? We we should have this dialogue and this understanding. And to my libertarian friends out there for you, your vote does count, uh, but I'm sorry your candidate is not going to be elected. But you should, in the same way, know your candidate's policies and know the people who are opposed to them. Yeah, and so, again, bringing this all back, we've kind of, you might say, well, we've talked about two different things, that cancel culture is bad and that uh, you should welcome disagreement. And again, where we marry those two is that uh, it's good to be critical, it's good to have these discussions, but it does not mean that someone's worth is now gone, right? It doesn't mean that somebody is unredeemable. It doesn't mean that somebody should be cast aside as a fool, a redneck, an idiot. Um, It just means that you've exchanged ideas in a fruitful way. I mean, that's, that's what society should be built upon. Right. Yeah. And, and I think like we should be willing to do the hard work of even correcting someone's views who, who we know are wrong. If you have someone in your life who's holding views that are wrong, that they shouldn't have, then don't eliminate that person from your life, but have that dialogue, have those conversations. You might be the only voice of reason that they're going to approach in life. So have that conversation. Don't be afraid to have that dialogue. Right, and I was just I'm sitting here, I was reminded, I'm reading my, my biography on Frederick Douglass, and um, it actually relates to a current event when all the statues were coming down, which don't get me started, but there's a statue um, commemorating the Emancipation Proclamation, and it's a statue of Lincoln standing, and you have a slave who, depending on your interpretation, is either kneeling at his feet or rising up, um, and um, this came in the news because protesters wanted to tear it down. And, uh, you know, saying it was racist and all that kind of stuff. So Frederick Douglass is the one who gave the speech when that statue was first unveiled. And uh, the, the biography goes into the speech of it a little bit. Um, and in that speech, it's just, it's an awesome example of this. In that speech, he basically roasted the fact that our nation allowed slavery. You know, Frederick Douglass, of course, coming from slavery. He was an escaped slave. Um, and, and so he starts that speech, and the, the book talks about how nervous people were getting, because he's basically just roasting the founding fathers, and he's roasting the institution itself, and like, oh, we're a d- democracy, but look at what happened. But then he shifts, and he says, but in this context and in this time, and he praises Abraham Lincoln. He praises the fact that the founding fathers produced a government where this can be resolved. And so... I just think it's fitting because it shows you here's a man who came from the darkest part of this nation's history, and he is able to sit in this position where he can give a, a balanced look at 
we have as a nation done wrong. Here is the sin that this nation has committed. But I can also acknowledge that in that through those people who allowed it uh, to persist and fester, uh, that we can also acknowledge that uh, we have a system and we have the ability to have Frederick Douglass standing here right now giving this speech. And I think that's what we need more of is acknowledging the good, the bad, discussing those things, hammering them out. Um, but again, not canceling the Founding Fathers, but realizing their right place in history. And you said this, this context, basically. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, that's a helpful point to end that topic on is just this idea that, that we should have an understanding, we should have empathy, and, and we should be slow sometimes. Sometimes it's okay to be slow to action and to be slow to posting that tweet or posting that, that post that um, could be harmful and, and could actually end a dialogue instead of starting one. I could go on this topic forever. So instead of that, what we're <laughs> going to do is is we're going to introduce another new segment. I think we have new segments every week at the end of the show. Yeah. And this one's going to be called Grinds My Gears. So why don't you start, Oltman's, and tell us what grinds your gears? Well, this was inspired by the episode. We're talking about cancel culture. So here's what I want to cancel. Uh, and so I'm totally, um, I guess, being hypocritical. So what grinds my gears? There's a whole list of them. But uh, I was talking about this with my wife last night. So here's what grinds our gears. Number one, when people eliminate the Oxford comma, okay? The Oxford comma shouldn't even be up for debate. It is necessary and good and proper, all right? And so for if you're one of those that says, oh, we don't really need it, kick rocks, all right? You're canceled, all right? So that really grinds my gears. And then the other thing was pronunciation of words. I don't know why this gets to me, but... Um, you know, what, what do you call somebody who sells homes for a living? A realtor. Yeah, but some people want to say a realtor. What? And they, and they will not acknowledge it. It's not like they misspoke. They believe the word is actually realtor. If that's you, kick rocks. You're canceled. All right, it's realtor. Just look at that. Just sound it out. Here we are back in first grade. Just sound it out. All right? And then the, another one is um, what do you buy for someone you love uh, that they can wear around their neck? A necklace. Well, okay, that's not, no. Uh, I'm just going for jewelry, right? We're going for jewelry, but what do people want to call it? Jewelry. Jewelry? Again, sound it out, folks. So if you're one of those people, either fix it, jewelry is correct, or kick rocks, you're canceled. I feel personally attacked considering <laughs> I mispronounce words all the time. But That's fine, but not those. Those, I mean, you could mispronounce it for the first time. I mispronounce words all the time. But then I fix it because I sound it out. Fair, fair. So what grinds my gears is the sound of chewing. Breach. So let me bring this up. Misophonia. I believe I'm saying that correctly, but essentially it is a disorder which means... You have a hatred of sounds such as eating, chewing, loud breathing, or even repeated clicking. And I have to be honest, I hate that I have this. 
but I cannot stand the sound of eating. I have to listen to music during dinner with my family. Uh, if we are watching TV and my wife is eating popcorn, she has learned that she needs to wait before eating. We need to start the movie and have the sound on first. And I would like to fully acknowledge my hypocrisy that I am a loud breather and probably a loud chewer. Probably. And yet I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's not a problem. You, you know you I'm pro- Yes, yeah, I am a loud chewer. No, I, I'm, we've talked about it. I'm with you on this. And it is absolutely a disorder because I, it doesn't bother me when I hear myself chew. But my wife has learned that she has to sit on the other side of the couch sometimes. Or uh, I'll just like in a fit of anger because what you're not saying is like this, this puts us into a rage. Right. Sometimes. Oh, carrots. So I like I take the <laughs> I take the uh, the volume in my car and just crank it up full blast in a fit of anger, and then my wife knows. Oh, it's my chewing, and I want you to know, baby girl, it isn't your chewing; it's me. And that's that's important, right? This is what grinds my gears: is that I have a problem and I don't know how to get over it. I'm with you, but I did tell you this. I think it's been connected to being a genius. Right, you told me that. Yeah. And it, it seems totally logical. So I'm reading it. I'm reading it right now. Uh, we can become irritated, enraged, or even panicked <laughs> when they hear these sounds. Treatment might involve therapy uh, or lifestyle recommendations such as using sound protection or noise-free zones in living spaces. Mm-hmm. So, so you're coping appropriately with it. So Fair. Okay. Well, if any of our listeners out there have a solution for us, Please uh, uh, let us know on Twitter. I'll post our Twitter handles down below. Uh, And as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Adam Oltmans. Yeah, man. And we will see you guys next week in the Echo Chamber. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Echo Chamber. Uh, back again this week is Adam Altman's. Good evening. And we are still missing Pierce Conway. He's just getting too important with his sports stuff. And as always, I am your host, Russell McBride. Um, can we just clarify? He doesn't play sports. Uh, he's just, he has to organize them. Those who can't do, organize them. That's, is that <laughs> is the that, phrase? That's very close. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Echo Chamber. Uh, back again this week is Adam Altman's. Good evening. And we are still missing Pierce Conway. He's just getting too important with his sports stuff. And as always, I am your host, Russell McBride. Um, can we just clarify? He doesn't play sports. Uh, he's just, he has to organize them. Those who can't do, organize them. That's, is that the phrase? That's very close. Right. Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Echo Chamber. Uh, Back again this week is Adam Altman's. Good evening. And we are still missing Pierce Conway. He's just getting too important with his sports stuff. And as always, I am your host, Russell McBride.
Um, can we just clarify? He doesn't play sports. Uh, he's just he has to organize them. Those who can't do organize them. That's, Is that the that, phrase? That's very close. Right. Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Echo Chamber. Uh, back again this week is Adam Altman. Good evening. And we are still missing Pierce Conway. He's just getting too important with his sports stuff. And as always, I am your host, Russell McBride. Um, can we just clarify? He doesn't play sports. Uh, he's just, he has to organize them. Those who can't do, organize them. That's, is that the that, phrase? That's very close. Right. Okay. Okay.